Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by Craig Roberts, actor, writer, director, producer, whose most recent film, The Phantom of the Open, is in cinemas right now. Hello, Craig. Hello. Hi. Thank you for joining us today, taking time out. I know it's, we're recording this on week of release of Phantom of the Open, your new film, so I appreciate you taking the time out. No, I appreciate you having me on. I love this podcast. It's great. Oh, so kind of you to uh, say. Now, uh, listeners might be listening to this show and they might be looking at the listings for Phantom of the Open going, Sam, Phantom of the Open is not under 90 minutes long. Long. Um, <laughs> it's not a particularly long film. It's under two hours. But you have made um, uh, an under 90 minute film. I think your first movie, Just Jim, was like 85 minutes, 84 minutes long. Yes. And that's because we didn't have enough footage. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, I don't know why that was 84, 84 or five minutes long. I think it was, I, actually, I do know why. It was because the first act, the script was, um, I think, under underbaked a little bit in the first half of it. And the first act went on way too long. So in the end, we kind of brought the first act down and that took the whole the whole picture down, really. I guess we get it a little bit with editing the podcast. You sort of sand the edges off. But when you're in the edit and you sort of find something that maybe isn't working as strongly as you want it to, when you remove that, is that quite a satisfying feeling? At the beginning, it isn't because you love everything. You know, you're kind of so you're so attached to it. And you think that everything's fantastic when it's really not. But then by the end of it, when it, I think when time starts to run out in the edit, you start to see things more clearly. And again, I think panic kind of kicks in really. So you then start to remove things. And also it helps having people come in and like watch the movie. You know, if you have, you know, people that you trust to come in and I suppose sit through it, then they can help you, you know, really see what's going on. Cause you, you, you're kind of lost, you know, during the edit towards the, certainly in the middle of it all. You, 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 you're mainly battling with like falling in and out of love with the picture is what I find. It's like you, you love shooting it, but then when you get into the edit, you're just faced with all your problems. Yes, it's a different mindset uh, there. Also, like, it must be so surreal to watch something as closely as you do as a film that you're working on in the edit. You know, no, nobody else is ever going to see the film as closely as you've just experienced it. Yeah, and also the problem with the, my first film is that I put myself in it and... It was like I just had to watch myself act over and over again. And it was, yeah, not, it was, you know, not that enjoyable. Um, and so I will never be doing that again. So we're talking about this just as um, The Phantom of the Open comes out. How was, how was that process on this film? Do you, do you go into a, a, you know, a film like this sort of knowing how long it is going to be? Or, or do you still find it in the edit, even on a bigger movie? To be totally honest with you, I think I didn't want it to be too short. I think I worried with my first movie that it was too short and that, I don't know, there was just a fear that people wouldn't take it serious enough if it was way too short. Like we hadn't had, you know, enough, like I said, enough material. But I, I, maybe I just didn't, you know, didn't realise how cool it was to have a film under 90 minutes at that point. So with this, like, I don't know, I, I, again, I had, I had like, even though it's a comedy, I had this drama kind of mindset going into it where I wanted it to play out a little slower and in, in places. And, and I love movies where you love the world and you don't want it to end, but, but, you know, at the end of it, you just don't want to, don't want to leave it. And I think that that has something to do with the time you spend in the world at the same time. So I was conscious of it not being too short, although there were, you know, there were people that 
wanted this movie to be 90 minutes long. They definitely wanted it to be 90 minutes long because it's a comedy and comedy should be 90 minutes long, really. You know, nobody's nobody's laughing three hours in. You know, it's, that's that's hard to sustain. So that was a really interesting puzzle, really, during the edit is how, how, how long it should be or how long a comedy should be. I don't really know the answer to that. I think it's better for movies. Um, I think it's better for cinemas to have movies that are 90 minutes long. You can play it, play it more times in a day, I suppose. Um, that's a positive. Um, but we, we, I think we, we come out at around an hour 45, hour 47 or something like that. And I feel like we're not, we're not overstaying our welcome too much. I think it feels like a decent, decent time. I think it's whatever serves the story, right? Isn't it? Like I, um, feel like with the Phantom of the Open, it leaves you wanting more, you know, and you're not, most importantly, you're not thinking about the runtime when watching it, um, which is always a good sign. Exactly. And we, to be honest, we had a great editor. We had John Amos who, you know, has done, you know, Edgar Wright movies and stuff. And he's a very fast editor and the way the movie's put together, it's very kinetic. It keeps moving. It doesn't really stop. So I think it feels probably around 90 minutes, even though it's an hour 45. I think it zips along, hopefully. And I'm not sure. I think my, my second movie was just, I think, just over 90 minutes. And I think that's probably the credits were over long. So that's the only reason why. I, I have to say, with the credits on Phantom of the Open, I stayed through the whole credits because they're so beautiful. You've done this retro television style look, I suppose, uh, to it. But um, it's so nice to see. That's so kind. Yeah, thank you. I think, well, you know, Morrison Studios did the, did the credits and they're fantastic. And I've, I've worked with them on, I think, two, two films now. To be honest, both films, both Eternal Beauty and Phantom of the Open, my main reference was Punch on Glove for them. Um, and we, you know, we've got the Superman colors throughout the Phantom of the Open and we were going to put the credits on black, but I just thought it'd be really nice to see those, you know, stills of each of the colors and the progression of color, I suppose, or the intro intro you know, introduction of color throughout the film um, at the end of it as well. And yeah, they did a great job. They did a great job. We, we kind of, certainly for the beginning as well, I think the, the yellow font that we have was, I think we pretty much ripped that from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love also the title of the movie, the way it sort of appears on screen. It has that sort of like 70s British, like rank film style look to it. Oh, good. That was actually we the the reference for that. And it was I basically, I was, I, I love The Long Goodbye so much. Um, and I was rewatching that. And when The, the Long Goodbye popped up in blue, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and it, it felt like having, um, you know, we it says in, in The Phantom, it says Morris Flaircroft is the Phantom of the Open. And I don't know, it felt like he was the star in his own movie. You know, I, I, I kind of like that. Okay, so it sounds like you watch a lot of films in between your own filmmaking projects. I've stopped, yeah, I slowed down a little bit. I used to watch a, a lot, a lot. And, you know, I was, I was trying to go through as many a day, really. But reality TV has taken over my life a little bit. I, it's Sometimes it's exhausting to watch a really good film. Um, and it's easier to watch the Kardashians. Um, so I've I've need to I need to move back into into um, into the Criterion collection. Do you take much notice of a runtime when you're maybe going to the cinema or, or looking, you know, uh, what to potentially watch, or does that really really not come into your decision making process? No, I don't think it does that much. I don't think it does. Although I don't know. I mean, it it really depends. Sometimes if a movie is longer, I'll be like, okay, this 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 hopefully has something to say. So I would invest in that a little bit more. I love horrors and horrors seem to be 90 minutes or less. So that's always, that's always good, a good company to be in. But no, I guess I don't. I guess I don't. I mean, the Batman, that's long, isn't it? Bloody hell. Three hours. Three hours long. But to be honest, some of my favorite, like Boogie Nights or like Magnolia. Magnolia is one of my favorite movies. And I got, I don't know how long that, I think that's like three hours and 15. 
That which, you know, Boogie Nights and Magnolia are definitely a reference for the Phantom of the Open. It was mainly because of the camera movement. He he doesn't stop. It's like it's like he took the early Scorsese movement and then time you know times it by three. I don't know. It feels cool. It feels really cool. But also, when you have a lot of story to tell, I think it's just I think it's about guiding people through it. So that that was definitely a reference that you know. And I just I feel like we don't do that that much in the UK with with movement. I think um, not that we don't do it at all. I think there's certain filmmakers that definitely do it. So before coming on the show, Craig, I asked uh, you for a little bit of homework. I asked you to choose an under 90 minute film uh, to add to our fictional film festival. Now we've covered 80 or so films so far, and and I wanted you to add another one to the pile. Uh, what did you what did you pick for us today? I picked A Razor Head by David Lynch, a.k.a. Mr. Dreamy. A dream of dark and troubling things. David Lynch's 1977 debut feature, Eraserhead, is both a lasting cult sensation and a work of extraordinary craft and beauty, with its mesmerising black and white photography by Frederick Elms and Herbert Cardwell, evocative sound design, which was by David Lynch, and unforgettably enigmatic performance by Jack Nance. This is a visionary nocturnal odyssey that continues to haunt American cinema like no other film. I don't think they could put the actual synopsis on there because I don't, I'm not sure people know what that is. <laughs> um, so I think that that's I think that's a good way to set it up. A bit of context. Shout out some craftspeople and some and and the actor, your lead actor, and um, and let's get on with it. Exactly. It's um, it, to be honest, it was tough to pick an under night minute film. There was a few, and two of them were Disney films. Oh wow! But a raise ahead. I, I just keep coming back to that because I think there's. I mean, arguably probably the best debut, I think. I mean, it's just an incre- incredible debut. And it's it certainly informed it certainly informed my earlier films, or my first two films. My first one, definitely. Maybe it wasn't such a good thing, but I watched A Razorhead in the edit for, for Just Jim, and um, that's, that steered me towards going more Lynchian, which can be dangerous sometimes, very dangerous for filmmakers to do. Sometimes you can do that really successfully and sometimes i think the bar may be so high with lynch it's just impossible i think there's just what there's only one lynch i mean and you know as soon as you start going into the abstract and it's hard to really sum up what what lynchian is i think it's for me it's people staring too long (laughs) or like delivering a line and then just smiling afterwards and then you know holding that stare Certainly, what I love about his work, I think he's, you know, probably my favorite filmmaker, mainly because there's no one else like him, and uh, you know, it's, I think it'll be harder and harder for people to do what he's done. Certainly in the future, I think, because stuff like, I suppose, your TikToks and stuff like that mm. have just made it. We need we need things very quickly and 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 explained for us. Whereas Lynch's biggest thing is, as soon as you give the answer away, it's no no longer interesting. And he certainly kept that with a razor head. I mean, he still hasn't explained what it's about. No. And he, he I think I, I read something where he says, um, nobody has yet to, you know, actually come up with what he he thought it was, which is incredible. I love that long game. You know, his film came out in 1977. Obviously, David Lynch is someone who gets interviewed a lot. He, he's continued working, you know, for a, a variety of mediums, but he's he's keeping this one to himself. And, and I hugely uh, respect that. And then if you look at how the film was made, it was made over a five-year period. You know, it's his formative film out of film school and, and and beyond. And and you know, like this is five years of his life because he, by the sounds of things, he he really he really did live it. In, in even in the fact that he slept on the set for a year. So the set was in his film school, right? The American Film Institute. Uh, the yeah, the film school he was at in LA, I believe, right? Yeah. And I think there's a great story he tells where 
he goes, the, the protagonist goes into the bedroom or comes out of the bedroom. And actually in between the cut, there's like two years. Like it took them, it took them so long to get the money together to finish it off that two years later, he comes out, out of the bedroom, which ama- is amazing. It's also really, what I love about it, I mean, you know, Twin Peaks is obviously fantastic, um, but you can see like even the carpet outside the elevator is the Twin Peaks design inside the red room. And even like the, when you go into the elevator, the lady in the, in the, in the radiator rather, he's got the black and white kind of floor. Mm. So you can see like moments of, of him develop, to be honest, not developing his voice because I've never, it's a, such a developed voice in the first film. He, he, he knew exactly what he was going to do and what, what, what kind of artist he was. I think that's why I admire it so much, really. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, it's an interesting sort of like experience as a viewer following his work because you could pop on Mulholland Drive, which is, you know, over 20 years uh, after this, and, and you can tell it's totally the same guy. He's seen more efficient in some ways and he's, he's evolved, but at the core, it's still David Lynch. And he's still, the little things that make him unique is that, you know, he's not just writing and directing uh, these films. He's on set, he's painting the set, you know, he's helping with the set design. Yeah. He's And like, you know, that, that checkerboard floor, he probably hand painted like every single checkerboard. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true. It's, it's, he's, um, he's got the, he's got another great uh, phrase or he's, you know, gone on record saying, keep your eye on the donut and not the hole because the hole is, is, is so scary. And I've, I think about that all the time, really with, with, with anything, really, if I'm anxious, I'm like, okay, so what's the donut in this scenario and what's the hole and what, what do I need to focus on? And I think that's what's so amazing about his films. They can make no sense to some people at all, but yet within, within, ev- within every frame and the detail within it all, it feels like more than the sum of its parts. It feels like there's something else going on in his films and I think that's just a depth. I think that's just what, I think that's because it's, it's within him and he's not compromising at all. That's, I think that's, the, that's one of the most powerful things that come from David Lynch is the fact that it's somebody that's, that's you know, executing exactly what he wants to do. It sounds like you've you've come back to Eraserhead quite a lot. Uh, it's, it's one that I've revisited on and off over the years, and and I I just keep focusing on different things every time I watch it, and that's that's such a good thing to have as a filmmaker, you know, like be able to sort of make something so layered that the audience will keep finding new things. Um, like on this watch, I, I really got obsessed with the the puppets and and the animatronic sort of creatures uh, he puts in, not the not just the famous you know, sort of baby creature that is in the film, um, but the chicken, oh, the chicken in the yeah, dinner the, scene. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, the blood coming out of the, yeah, like that, or whatever's coming out of it. See, I read it as gravy, but even now, that, that's how different people are interpreting. Oh, the, <laughs> I don't know why I went for gravy. You know what, again, <laughs> back to what he said, as soon as you give the answer away to anything, you know, it's no longer interesting. I think that's why we find so much in it. We keep, if he told us exactly what, what everything was, then, the, you know, there may would be, you know, perhaps we wouldn't revisit it as much as we do. And I think that's so cool. That scene, I mean, that's like, that's like the nightmare version of Meet the Parents. It's so awkward, that scene. So awkward. And also very, very funny. I do find a razor head very funny in places. 
um, even him just walking walking along, looking very small, like an ant almost in you know in, the, in this industrial world. I, I do I do one thing I love about it is the world so so much. For, for it's incredibly scary and really really disturbing. But I want to stay in it. I could watch a TV show of that and and just see him walking around week after week. If there was the big tell-all about Eraserhead, I would I would totally enjoy it. But I, we probably wouldn't be talking about it right now like this. But yeah, there's little there's little details, and also like it's coupled with the fact that this is his first film. He's making it for really not very much money at all, uh, and and yeah, it's packed with these details. It's so unique. So unique. He also for you know for a, for a first film because I think I think it's Mel I think it's Mel Brooks who got him the Elephant Man job. And I think that was on the back of seeing a Razorhead play in New York, I think maybe in the film forum or some, one of those cinemas, and then just running out and being like, you know, you, 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 ha- you have to do this and, and him raving about it. I think his endorsement really, really helped him, helped him with that. Also, Stanley Kubrick it was one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films. There's a fantastic story of George Lucas. I think they were at L Street um, and... Stanley was like, um, I'm going to be playing my favorite movie tonight if you want to come and see it or whatever. And it was a razor head. He was showing a print of a razor head. Like, how amazing is that? So cool. It's just great that it it um it seemed to connect. Like, if you release that movie now, it'd be really, really hard to get that to connect. And I'm not sure what platform it would go on. So it's great that it, it connected in the way it did. He was obviously meant to do what he what he's supposed to do. He was in the right place at the right time as well in terms of, you're right, if this was maybe on streaming, it would probably be trending on Twitter for a weekend and then yeah. maybe people wouldn't be talking about it so much but because it had that slow theatrical rollout you know the fact that he spent five years making it as well like it adds to it but then when it opens in 1977 it is released on a really small scale which is what often happens especially in the states you'll open in like what they call key cities um, in just one cinema and you'll make that the destination location but this played in New York for two years like 99 weeks at the same cinema. That's like, I love that story. Well, aren't they doing that with Memoria? Isn't that right? Aren't they mm. like trying to, apparently it'll never go out of the cinema. It'll just keep playing at different different places, which I think is fantastic. That's so cool. Yeah, at the time of recording, Memoria has been on at the ICA in London for, I don't know, since November or whatever. It's always been on every single week. That that sort of adds to the the legacy of of something like Eraserhead, like this legendary run at the cinema, and then it sort of builds up the story a- around the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you when you watch it again? Did you um did you get any more clues as to what as to what you know the details within it? Like I I mean like I've read enough about it as well to to kind of um, understand that it's about parenthood or fatherhood and the anxiety around it but i still don't quite i still don't understand the, you know the the beginning and the end uh, you know much at all i i kind i suppose i i mean i say understand i mean understand it in my own narrative i suppose of like what i think it might be like I, maybe the you know going into the radiator and i think i might be completely wrong but they seem like strange surreal like sperm of sorts that's like, like falling around him um and she's kind of stamping them it seems to be that it's his fear of having a kid, I think. And obviously ending in the way it does uh, is incredibly dark. I feel like that's how I'm interpreting it. Like I am assuming that those creatures in the film, there are these sort of like string-like creatures that do look like sperm. And at the beginning of the film, it's it's one coming out of our out of Jack Nance. Uh, and then later in the film, he's told he's having a baby. So I do wonder if that is conception. It's the guy in the room that's like pulling the levers that I just no idea what's going on there <laughs> i love it but i've no idea i mean maybe that's one of the reasons why lynch hasn't 
talked about it because if again we're reading totally into it he's never commented on it but at this time he did have a young child um jennifer lynch she has said not lynch um she has said that she was born with club feet and and you know, required lots of surgery as a, as a really okay. young infant um so maybe that was quite stressful for david lynch who's doing film school he's working nights doing a paper round i think to support his yeah. family so he is like got so much pressure on him or he must feel so much pressure at this point to look after his his young family and make this film and do all of the other things you need to do as a human being uh, maybe that does feed into the movie but um but yeah i don't know she i think she has said like she thinks it's about her wow wow one thing i love as well is the gra- uh, is his grammar um and one thing i noticed watching it again this morning was that it definitely you know feels like a fever dream of sorts right but I, what i found really interesting is that he and why, why I thought it was it felt more like a fever dream this time is that he's kind of stuck in this paralysis where Mary, his partner, is completely affected by the screaming of the baby and the noise of it all, but he isn't at all. At all. It's like he's not quite there. It's like he's like w- watching in, and I think that that helps us connect with the movie a little bit more. Strangely, it may, you know it's kind of he's certainly the eyes. He's the Benjamin Braddock into the world. But weirdly, him not responding in some way or acknowledging it too much, his, it makes it more horrific for some reason. Yeah, I think you're right. He, um, when the film is so you know, unique, I suppose, it's, um, it's not like we relate with that character, but he is equally as bemused yeah. as we are going into this world. And Jack Nance has such a good expression on his face for the entirety of the film. He's like wide eyes. He's also, it's quite funny that he's dressed like a young David Lynch and has this mad haircut, which he had to keep for five years whilst they were shooting it. <laughs> so I've loved that stuff. But yeah, I don't think it would, it, I don't think it would work as well if the character was a hundred percent in the reality. Like it is maybe like his character is dreaming or, or it's a, a nightmare he's had or he's trying to remember something, but he's always sort of like got one foot in one foot out. You're right. Yeah. And it's a very physical performance. It's kind of like Buster Keaton or Jack Taz. Like it's very, it's very funny. Even the way he carries himself around, like he's, he's, he's exhausted with carrying himself. Yeah. Those small details just, yeah. Make, make it everything. Hey, I'm Kobe. And I'm Helen. And we are from Flixwatcher Podcast, another podcast in the stripped media family. We're a movie podcast that reviews films on Netflix. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix, then we're the podcast just for you. Each episode, we have guests from other podcasts, big and small, who choose the films and we rate them with our unique scoring system. So if you want to listen to Flixwatcher Podcast, just type in Flixwatcher, that's F-L-I-X Watcher, into the very app that you're listening to this podcast on. Visit www.stripped.media to find more about our podcast and 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Is Lynch someone who's generally sort of inspired you uh, over the years? 100%, yeah, absolutely. Um, I watch David Lynch, when I'm anxious, I watch David Lynch interviews because he makes me feel really calm and he, he centers me, you know, even even his is him talking about like following the idea and it's all about the idea sometimes can give me clarity on what I want to do. His films certainly earlier on, again, with my first film, I I think I I did, I had a mistake by, it was a little bit of a mistake watching a Lynch film during the edit because it just went too Lynchian. And like I said, you can't really be Lynch. So, you know, Gosling saw it with with Lost River. I think that's the name of his film. I I really liked that film. I thought that was great. And I I love the world, but, it was very Lynchian and critics are quick to take you down if, if it's Lynchian in any kind of way, because it's, I think it can for some people feel, feel like um, 
a film school film for some reason if it's too abstract like you're exploring too much or not giving the audience enough um so yeah it was um i don't regret watching uh, a razor head uh, or, or like lynch rather during during just jim but it was it was interesting i kind of uh, i had a you know a bit of discipline going into my other films being like no lynch i'm not i'm not playing <laughs> I'm not playing any Lynch during the edit of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, um, I mean, maybe there are, if you were really looking into it, like maybe the family dynamic, like Lynch loves yeah. families and complicated families, you know, and I think Phantom's got a little bit of that, if you know, in terms of the complicated relationship with the children. Um, and I love, you know, the, the disco dancing twins, like these, you could totally imagine, you know, like a, a strange set of twins in a Lynch yeah. film doing a very strict sort of discipline in disco dancing in this case. Well, I think if we if we removed the soundtrack and and the sound design and we just put like a, a really loud drone or like a hum throughout every scene, then it would probably feel more, probably feel more Lynchian. And if I if I left space um, at the beginning and at the end of every line that Morris delivered, it would feel more Lynchian, I think. I think that's the... I think that's the key to it. Although you know, Morris sometimes is is Lynchian in, in his in his delivery. You know, it's it's sometimes offbeat. Yeah, maybe that's Lynch coming in again. Morris is um in, in your film. He's living in his head, isn't he? And like I, he's he's. It feels like he's really processing everything before he says it out loud. And Mark Rylance is doing this incredible. I mean, an incredible actor, but he's doing this incredible face often, and and his delivery is is so yeah. good. I could see, I don't know, a little bit of Jack Nance and a little bit of Mark Rylance together. I think you're right, actually. I think you're right. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's, it's uh, certainly closer than my other films of that is his, because he's, he's kind of presents as stoic in some way, but it was also like, you know, has, has a lot going on. And like you said, it's trying to figure absolutely everything out. Uh, yeah, I think Lynch, I think I love Lynch's comedy. So I think that's definitely informed like the offbeat to some, you know, the offbeat, I suppose, vibe to some of my films. I hope Lynch makes another film. That's what I hope. He, he's so good at teasing the audience because Lynch is an early adopter of social media and he's still on there doing the Daily Weather Report. I, I really respect that he only makes a film when he you know, really deeply wants to. He's he's branched out into other narratives. I was at an art gallery the other day. I think in the past they must have had a Lynch exhibition because there was lots of sort of souvenirs from it. But um, they also had all of his books. He has two books of nude photos. I was just like, wow, OK. He I knew he did like a little bit of art, but... But like, yeah, deep, you know, into photography, he's made albums, he's does his poetry. He has some coffee as well. I did get a bag of his coffee when I was in Amsterdam in the film museum that they had Lynch's coffee and it, I, I one cup of that. And I was like rocket man. Um, not, yeah, certainly not something to drink all day. Well, I just hope that he's, I hope that people are, you know, allowing him to make films. I just want, want to make sure, you know, I hope that, that's the case and people you know if he's got a film ready to go it can go because it should i mean he's one of a kind i think what i like about lynch is you know he, he's not going to do tell-all interviews about what his films are about or where he was at when he made them but he really cares about his films and he's now now we're in this era of 4k ultra hd like he's remastering his films and the, the criterion blu-ray i bought has a little sticker on the front you know david lynch approved and like he cares for these films um you know deeply but um but yeah he just doesn't want to give us the <laughs> the tell-all he doesn't want to do the wikipedia article about the blow by blow no Oh, and I think that's good. I think, look, he loves detectives and I think he sees us all as detectives and that we have to figure out what's going on. And we also haven't touched on the sound design. I mean, the, I mean, the sound designs are just incredible in his films. Absolutely incredible. The dream would always be to get David Lynch to do, this, do the sound design on a movie. I don't know why, maybe he just doesn't want to do it for other people, but I think... His, his designs are incredible. I think he's got a deep knowledge of, of sound and music and, you know, like in Eraserhead there's some amazing uh, music too. But in all of his films, he's got 
the soundtrack is so iconic, whether he's collaborating with a composer or like with a Razorhead, he's doing a lot of the sound work himself, uh, you know, writing lyrics to songs and things. But he's also a musician as well. He's got albums, like, you know, a few albums that are great. They're actually really great. And I don't think, I don't think there's much he can't do, to be honest. With the sound on a Razorhead, like it's a low budget movie shot you know, what's these at film school, but the, the quality of the sound really adds to production mm-hmm. value. And I do find like sometimes if you get the sound good, the audience are so forgiving about so many other elements. Not that you need to forgive a razor head, I don't think, but it adds to the the weird, like, you know, 360 world that you are immersed in. I think you're absolutely right. What's interesting about the sound design that, I, uh, that hit me when I watched it this morning is that the movie, at, at the best of times, washes over you. It completely does wash over you. Like you've just got to just sit there and let it let it do its thing. But there's a lot of there's a lot of wind, and after a while, you start to like almost meditate with it, and it starts to sound like waves. Really interesting. It really does start to sound like waves crashing, or maybe there are actual waves in there. But that wind is so powerful, and it's throughout in every scene, pretty much. Because there is no silence, you're never sort of you're always engaging that bit of your brain, and I think it's sort of Lynch's sort of way of keeping your ears in you know, alert yeah. to the sound design because I think it goes from those sort of background noises as you described to, you know, the very high-pitched screaming of the child, uh, you know, and to all sorts of other places after that. But it, it sort of um, makes you sit up in your seat. I, I quite like that. He's like, this is the sound of normality in my movie and then I'm going to let you know when, you know, things are going into the deep end here. There's a, a Rich Leoade on his second film, The Double. I'm not sure it was a, a reference for him, but I think they'd be great double bills. Because they feel very much like not similar worlds, but you know, just uh, being inside somebody's head and like this pressure cooker of of anxiety about to go off. He did a great job with all all that stuff. And also, I know I know that Richard did a lot of work on the sound design of that, where it's like some of the, I think the sounds of the computers are like cats purring. We've got a razor head in our in our film festival. We're planning this fictional film festival. It's going to be amazing, and you know, all very convenient runtimes. All of these eighty films. We believe in the big screen experience in this film festival, and I'd love to know if I gave you a print of a razor head and a blank check to sort of put it on in a cinema or not a cinema. How would you like to play this to an audience? How would you like to present this film? Well, I'd love to present it with uh, Lynch. It'd be you know Lynch to come out, do a, do a dreamy talk, and then uh, hand out coffee. To everybody and everybody can have a panic attack while they watch it i'm not yeah and i'm not sure probably an old cinema of sorts i think you know but i would definitely love to show the print that that's the way to do it would be to show the show the film print absolutely i agree maybe maybe lynch has got one in his personal archive we could uh we could get out of retirement nice and pristine i mean i hope he does I hope, I'd, I'd hope he does but you don't really see the print of a razor head around much at all either like you know obviously the prince charles do a lot of prints run a lot of prints but i've never seen a razor head on 35 there. Okay, so we'll get a classy cinema, an old cinema. I mean, Lynch goes for that old school sort of American suburbia sort of setting. So maybe we'll, we'll find a cinema that suits that sort of aesthetic, show it on a print, we'll have lots of David Lynch brand coffee and maybe some transcendental meditation at the end. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Also, it ha- there, there would have to be a very, very lush um, red curtain at the beginning that would open up. That would feel that would feel very Lynchian. Oh, I love that, yeah. So, yeah, just as the projector's sort of turning on and you see the leader with the countdown or whatever, that's projecting on the curtain, it opens. I can see this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Craig. It's been so nice to talk and, and a thrill to meet a fellow Eraser head head. Thanks for having me. Honestly, love the podcast. So um, yeah, it was chuffed, chuffed that you asked me to come on. Really, really cool to talk about Eraser head. Really, really glad to have our first David Lynch film in the lineup. I don't think any of Lynch's other films are eligible, but he has made so many short films. In one recently for Netflix, which was like an interview with a, a monkey. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can add some David Lynch short films into our proceedings as we as we progress on the show. But yeah, I'll say thanks so much uh, for bringing bringing Eraserhead to us, and thank you so much for the Phantom of the Open, which is in cinemas right now. And honestly, like I do recommend a double bill of Eraserhead and Phantom of the Open in that order, very importantly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, at least, yeah, like you said, end, end with Phantom, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and end with, a, you know, a little bit of hope towards the end. Can you say what you're working on next? I think hopefully I'm going to shoot a film this summer that I've written. Uh, it's called Honey, and it's a, it's a dark, uh, I suppose, slightly surreal relationship drama. More, more, more Lynch than Phantom of the Open, for sure. I look forward to spotting the Eraserhead nods uh, in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll chuck one in there for you, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Craig. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.